Happy Easter. It is a wonderful time to, for us to come together to celebrate the Lord's death and His resurrection. And uh, we have really been blessed this morning when we think of the choir and our worship team and the breakfast that we had this morning and everything that is going on. And then just to know that we got a lot of people over there uh, doing kids' activities right now. So I just want to thank everyone that helped make today so special and uh, that we can really be able to give the praise and the glory that Jesus deserves. If there is ever a day we gather to recognize uh, the glory of God, today is the day. And so praise the Lord for what we have come to celebrate, and just I hope you all are going to have a wonderful Easter today. In fact, as we uh, prepare for the sermon here, I'm just going to invite us to uh, jump right in here and look at the scripture before us. And I want to read the resurrection story. And we're reading it out of Mark's account, uh, Mark chapter 16. Mark 16 uh, reads this way. I'm reading verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was, when the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, Salome, and Salome brought spices so that they could go and anoint him. The hymn is obviously Jesus here. Jesus has uh, died on what we now call Good Friday, and it is early uh, Sunday morning after the Sabbath, which was for the Jews, this was uh, Saturday. They go early in the morning to anoint his body. And very, and very early on that first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right, on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place they have laid him. But go tell the, his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out and fled the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were very afraid. Let's pray. Father God, now as we turn to your word, we pray that you would come and that you would speak to us. We thank you for this story that we read here this morning and for the truth that it, present, that it, uh, that it gives us. And God, we pray that as we look at your word together today, that you would touch us right where we are at. God, we thank you that this is not just a story, but that this is a reality to be embraced. That Jesus has risen from the dead, and through him we can have salvation and eternal life. And so, God, we've just asked that your spirit would now come and help us during this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Today is April 1st. Uh, Easter Sunday. But oftentimes we say April 1st is Fool's Day, right? Uh, we say, uh, and to be honest, I, I, whenever I have uh, April, April 1st on April Fool's Day, 
I remember this day because it was uh, seven years ago today that I started at West Covina Christian Church. And, uh, and I remember I started on an April Fool's Day because I thought about calling into the office that morning and playing a joke and say, hey, I've changed my mind, I'm not coming to the church. But I was afraid before I got out April Fool's Day, they would say, okay, well, have a nice life. We'll, we'll see you in heaven. Uh, so I thought better of it, and, uh, and I didn't say any, uh, and I didn't make a call. But on April Fool's Day, this year, Easter, I want to convince us this morning, hopefully by the power of God's Word and His Spirit, that a person is no fool to believe in the resurrection. And that Jesus is alive not only 2,000 years ago, but that he is alive today as well. And so the goal of today's sermon is to show that Jesus is, one, alive, that he is, two, available, and that, three, he is attractive. And what I mean by attractive is that Jesus is beautiful, just as we just got done singing, that he is beautiful and that he is smart and that he is wise and that he is powerful and that we ought to desire him to be in our lives. And so this is our sermon this morning. The first point is a person is no fool who believes that Jesus is alive. Now when I say that Jesus is alive, I'm not just saying that he's alive metaphorically in some way. But I want to explain this here this morning. But I, what I'm saying is that Jesus is alive in a very real and significant and tangible way on this day, April 1st, 2018. Now that also, uh, we also have to understand that just a couple days ago we had a Good Friday service here. And then on that night we were reminded that Jesus died. But usually when someone dies, we don't ever expect to see them again. Uh, every summer, my family goes back to see my family in Iowa. I grew up in Iowa. And my favorite restaurant to go back to every year when we go back home is the Utter Cow. Okay, this is a little hole-in-the-wall place, the Utter Cow, a couple miles from where I grew up. And this is my favorite place. Why? Because they boast they serve the best pork tenderloin in the state of Iowa. And that is saying something. You get good pork tenderloins there. And so this is... Now, we're going to eat... We had a big breakfast this morning. We're going to eat Easter dinner today. I would take a pork tenderloin over anything. I love a good pork tenderloin. And so here we are waiting for them to fry up this uh, pork tenderloin. And in through the door walks uh, someone. And my dad says very nonchalantly, Hey, I thought that guy had died. And Chelsea started laughing, and then I got the giggles, and pretty soon my dad is laughing harder than anyone, because you just don't expect to say that. Hey, I thought that guy had died. If he died, you don't expect him to walk into the restaurant. But after we had uh, laughed about that for a while, it just brings to mind that this story we are looking at is quite incredible. Hey, I thought that guy had died. Three days ago, I thought he had died. And now the women come to the tomb, and they are told by this angel that he, is not, that he has died, but now he is alive again. 
And I, have a belief, and I think that there is evidence in this text to point to the fact that this is not just some story that the disciples have made up. This, even the way it reads, it ought, to, uh, it ought to be clear to us that what is being recorded here is historical fact, that this is actually events that took place. And the reason I, uh, and the reason I point that out, I think there are two real obvious clues or at least I'd like to make them obvious as I ex- explain this, there are two clues here that point to the fact that this is meant to be read historically. The first is that the testimony is given to women. Okay, let me just give us some background information here. If the disciples were to make up a story and they needed witnesses, the cultural context of that day, they would not have picked out women. Just the, that, that was, in that day, women's testimony was not given the same way as a man's testimony. In fact, if it was in a court of law, women would not even be, uh, would, not, would not give a witness to the, to the crime or whatever. And so the fact that the, gospel's writer, the gospel writers point out that it was Mary and Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of, G, of, uh, Mary the mother of James and Salome... uh, points to the fact that this is no made-up story. In fact, one of these women is an ex-prostitute, and surely they would not have included that person as one of their witnesses. Another little piece of evidence that shows that this is to be uh, read historically is there is no account of the resurrection actually given. Wouldn't you, if you were making up a story and wanted to convince someone of something, wouldn't you go into great detail about how it happened? No one actually saw the resurrection take place. It's an angel that is there that announces that it took place. Now what if, hypothetically speaking, we were there? What would we have seen? Well, okay, we're going to have to do some speculation here, but there's biblical evidence to give us some hints. For example, in the Gospel of John, it says that the grave clothes remained in the form in which they had been wrapped around Jesus' body. So in other words, it does not appear that Jesus got up, took off the clothes, and then put them back in place. What I think we would have actually seen what uh, would have been a sudden, a sudden, inexplicable disappearance of his body. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, he did have a physical body. There's evidence of that all over the place, especially with uh, the apostle Thomas. wants to put his fingers in the nail holes and to touch the side where the spear pierced Jesus as he hung on the cross. It is a physical body, but at the same time, it is a spiritual body. Jesus, uh, the resurrection body, is described by Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 this way. This is speaking of the resurrection of the dead. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is, is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. 
So what the text is saying here is that there are two realities around us. There's the physical, visible reality, things that we can see and, and uh, touch. And then there is a reality all around us, the invisible spiritual reality. And that world is just as real as the world that we have, uh, that, we can, that we can sense with our own senses. And Jesus' body was simultaneously a natural body and a spiritual body. And that is why he could do things that our bodies cannot do. He could walk into a locked room, walk right through the doors, and, uh, and appear before his disciples. He could come alongside of those who are traveling on the road and just appear with them. And then after he prays over the meal, he disappears. It is at one time a spiritual body and at the same time a physical body. It is a very real resurrection, but it is a resurrection to a new and immortal body. George Ladd, a theologian, writes it this way, and I hope we're able to follow this, but I read this because I think it's so, to me, this is so helpful. What, according to the gospel witness, actually happened at the moment of the resurrection? The answer is that Jesus was raised from the realm of mortal men into the unseen world of God. The resurrection appearances were not the resurrection itself. They were momentary appearances of the invisible, risen Lord to the physical sight and senses of the disciples. Of course, if one chooses to believe that there is no divine, invisible world of God, or that the, or that the boundaries between the invisible and visible worlds are involatile, the resurrection stories are fantastic. But who can say that such a world doesn't exist? Or who can say, for that matter, that God does not exist? Such questions are beyond the scope of physical science and critical historiography. So in other words, what is being said here is if there is a spiritual world, and if there is a God and there is a spiritual realm, then it is quite reasonable to believe in a resurrection. He is no fool that would understand that Jesus is alive. Now, why is that important for us to know? That is important for us to know because that means that Jesus is alive to us as well. That he is still alive. And he made himself appear to the disciples in a very special way, and he still does to this day. At times, but his, no, his normal mode of operation is that he reveals himself to us in an invisible spiritual way. And this is where it takes faith to believe in an, in spirit, an invisible spiritual world alongside of the visible physical world. And if both are true, then it is very possible that Jesus could, with a resurrection body, be a member of both worlds simultaneously. And that means, leads us to our second point, and that means that Jesus is available to us. That he is alive and that he is available. Verse 7 of our passage today really points to this availability. Verse 7 it says, 
But go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. There you will see him just as he told you. I've highlighted three things here, three just little parts that I want to point out because there's some spiritual truths implicit. The first is I want to talk to why, why is Peter singled out? To the disciples and Peter. And then I want to wrestle with this idea of what does it mean that Jesus is going before you? And then thirdly, why Galilee? Why did Jesus go to Galilee? So first of all, why Peter? Why is Peter single out in this passage? I think it is because Peter needs God's presence. Peter, more than anyone, maybe have, was filled with that sense of guilt. Just a couple days ago, he has denied that he even knew Jesus three times. Jesus predicted that he would do that, and then he did that, and he is, and he feels far from the Lord. And so Jesus, uh, so the, the uh, angel says, go to the, to the, the disciples and to Peter. And the reason I think that that is important is because there's a spiritual truth that is implied here, and that is that each one of us can be singled out by God. In fact, I think that the reason you are here this morning is because God is at work in your life, and He cares about you individually. The most famous verse in all of the Bible, John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son." that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's the most famous verse in all the Bible, but I'm going to take it from the general, and I want us to think about it for the individual. In fact, we're going to have a little exercise here. We're going to read this verse, and I'm going to give it blanks, and you put in your name in the blank. Okay, you ready to read this together? Where there's a blank, you say your name. For God so loved Corey that he gave his one and only son, so that if Corey believes in him, he shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now that is a remarkable truth. I heard a preacher once say that if you were the only person that had ever sinned, Jesus would have been sent just the same. Let's hear these words again. This is God singling us out this morning. Let's read this together. This time we're going to do it a little better. We've had a trial run. That was a little... I don't mean to be critical on Easter Sunday, but... Um, okay, we ready? I'll give us a count of three. That way we'll be all on cue. Okay, here we go. One, two, three. For God so loved Corey that he gave his one and only son so that if Corey believes in him, he shall not perish, but have eternal life. You see, Jesus singles you out today. And some of you come this morning and the guilt is so heavy. And you wonder, how could God ever love me? Jesus is here calling you to himself. The second thing in this passage, and this relates to the first, is that God goes before, Jesus goes before the disciples, and I think God, there is a spiritual truth here that God goes before all of us and he prepares the way. Has God not been at work in your life so that you can know Jesus? Think of all the things that have happened to you up until this point. Has God's hand not been in it? 
And the fact that you are here this morning, I don't think just happens by chance. God has been preparing the way for you to stand here in His presence today, that God goes before us. And I think of all that God has done in my life, and it blows my mind. And the same is true for you, that He singles you out and He says, I am going to uh, to prepare the way so that I can be in your life. And Jesus goes to Galilee. Why to Galilee? Well, Galilee is the home turf of the disciples. This is where they are from. This is where Jesus was baptized. This is where most of the, uh, the, minist- the early part of his ministry took place. And the spiritual truth is that Jesus comes to us just where we are. You know, I've had people that have said to me, you know, I really would like to become a Christian, but I just got to get this area of my life straightened out first. Got to quit hanging out with that group of friends, or I need to quit drinking so much, or I need to change my language, or the list can go on and on. But the fact is, if you wait until you got it all figured out, you're never going to come to Christ. And Jesus meets us right where we are at, on our home turf. And He is the one that then has the power to change our lives. You see, that leads us to the third and final point, that a person is no fool to believe that Jesus is attractive. Jesus is alive, he's available, but he's attractive. In other words, we ought to desire to be, have him be in our lives, to be attracted to him. We sang about how, what a beautiful name it is, that Jesus is beautiful, and that he is wise, and that he is smart, and that he is powerful. Now, Jesus is powerful enough to change our lives, to meet us where we are at, but to not let us stay there, but to draw him to ourself. And that power comes when his being alive and his being available is received into our hearts. Jesus in his resurrected body came alongside of a couple men that were leaving Jerusalem after the events of the weekend, and they're along the road, and Jesus appears, and he begins to talk with them. But, he has, but they have no idea of who this is. And they say, haven't you heard about what took place about this man who we thought was the one to come to be our Savior? And then Jesus begins to talk to them about the Old Testament Scriptures and all of these things, and they're really caught up in this conversation. And they say, won't you spend the night with us? We're going to stop here for the night and we're going to have dinner, and he joins them, and he breaks bread, and as he prays over the meal, their eyes are all of a sudden opened, and they realize who it is that is in their midst, and then he disappears. And they say, were not our hearts burning within us? Well, he talked with us on the road and opened up the scriptures to us. Were not our hearts just so filled with joy and passion that as we heard him talk, and I can relate to that. There have been times in my own life that just, I just get this overwhelming feeling of joy and peace that I am before a beautiful Savior. And this God that is before us this morning is so beautiful. He is so smart and wise and powerful. We ought to be attracted to Him to give our lives to Him. In fact, we would be fools if we didn't. Because God offers us the gift of salvation, and it is a wonderful thing. It is a life to be lived with Him and for Him, and we'd be fools if we did not receive it. 
Sometimes I like to think about Jesus just as the smartest guy that ever walked the face of this earth. You know, I had a very smart philosophy professor in college. I remember that class. I was like, man, how can this guy go so deep with such simple questions for so long? And uh, I still remember some of the questions in that philosophy class. Introduction to philosophy. What is real? Who is well off? Who is a really good person? How does one become a genuinely good person? These are the type of questions we wrestled with. And it wasn't until later that I began, and I really began to study God's Word, that I realized Jesus has the best, question, best answers to all of these fundamental questions. Jesus is actually very, very smart. What is real? Jesus teaches us that God and His kingdom are what is really real. Who is well off? It is anyone who is alive in God's kingdom and living interactively with Him, with Him in their life. That is the person who is really well off. How does someone become a really good person? Jesus teaches us that the really good person is the person that is filled and pervaded with love in their life. And how does one become a genuinely good person? Jesus teaches us that it is to place our confidence and our trust in Him, to learn to live life in line with God and in obedience to God's will. I like to say that, the, that how do we become that way? We learn to live our lives with and for Jesus. And that is the best life possible. You see, Jesus is beautiful, He's smart, He's wise, and He's really powerful. In a couple Sundays, in fact, April 22nd, you're here this morning, don't miss April 22nd. You got two Sundays between now and then. Don't miss those either, but especially don't miss April 22nd. April 22nd is uh, New Members in Baptism class. It's my, or new, new Members in Baptism Sunday. It's my favorite Sunday of the year because we're going to have one person after another just sharing their testimonies of how God has changed their lives. God is so powerful to turn us inside out, to turn our lives to Him. But you know what? That power has to be accessed. We've got a bell tower right over here. If you come in off the street side, it's this tall bell tower. And uh, I was curious to see, because as long as I've been at the church, that bell tower has never been lit up. And so I asked Daniel Romero, Daniel is overworking with the kids this morning, but he's an electrician. I said, could you see if we could get this lit up at night? And uh, so he got in there and he said, you know, good news, bad news. One is that place is full of a lot of pigeon poop. <laughs> but he says, the good news is there's electricity and it can be accessed now, it hasn't been accessed for a long time, but the electricity is there. Now, he got a light. We got to get a bigger light, okay? He knows that. He's fully aware, but it should. we got electricity up there. And there's electricity all around us all the time, but we do not always access it. What does it mean? It means you turn on the switch. If everything's connected right, you turn on the switch. And how do we access life with God it is by placing our trust in Jesus to receive Him into our, into our lives, to take Him at His word, to know that when He says that He can forgive us, He really can forgive us. 
And then when he says he can answer prayer, he really can answer our prayers if we cry out to him. And that he can heal us and that he will never leave us nor forsake us. It takes trust. It is flipping the light switch and to receive him in so that we can begin to live as this genuinely good person. We can live life in line with God and in obedience to his will. We can live with and for Jesus. And so I thought it would be appropriate this morning on Easter Sunday to give us an opportunity to respond to him. Maybe there are some of you here this morning that you would say, you know, I have never actually placed my trust in Jesus. And I don't want to be a fool any longer. Not to... I mean, that's just the reality that we'd be fools to to not receive this. But I want to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And so I'm going to invite you now just to bow your head and close your eyes so that we can concentrate. And I'm going to ask you just a few questions. And you just be honest with your own heart and, you know, There is nothing that saves us outside of faith in Jesus and His blood. And so this is a time where everything else just fades away and it's you and the Lord. How many of you today would would say that you know for certain that Jesus is in your life? How many of you would say that you know for certain that if you were to die today, that you would go to heaven? And how many of you would say that you're still working on this? And if this is something that you are still working on, I would just invite you to receive the good news of salvation this morning. That Jesus is alive, that he is available, and that he is attractive. And we would flip the switch, so to speak. That we would ask him to come into our lives and that we would place our trust in him. In fact, with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just invite you, if that is a decision you'd like to make this morning, I just invite you to slip your hand up. I'd just like to know... Who, who I can pray for. If you are here this morning and you'd like to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior, go ahead and put your hand up. Amen. I'm going to take a minute now and let's just keep our heads bowed and our eyes closed. And I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray especially for these that have raised their hand this morning. And as I pray, the worship team will come forward and begin to prepare to lead us in our final song. And I've also asked a few others that would please stand at the front here to receive those that would like to receive prayer this morning. And if you have lifted and if you have committed your life to Christ this morning, It would be of great benefit for you to come forward and to receive prayer. But maybe you want to just come forward and receive prayer for other reasons as well. But we as a church are a church of fervent prayer and believe that God answers these prayers.
So I'm going to pray, and then we will all stand. And if you want to come forward and receive prayer, I'm going to invite you just to um, come and to receive prayer with these that are in the front. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you today on Easter Sunday for the gift of salvation. God, we thank you that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead for us. And that now in the quietness of this room, we might be able to be real and vulnerable and honest with you. And that we might be able to recommit our life to you or for the first time commit our lives to you. And God, I pray for those that have raised their hand this morning. I pray that you would now work in their hearts and help them to begin to live out the salvation that they have received through faith in your Son, Jesus. And God, we thank you for your Son, Jesus, and his salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.